0: True Spirituality, Part 3, Through Death to Resurrection. We have up till now highlighted the important negative, not negative in the sense of bad, aspects of the Christian life, rejected, slain. Now we turn our attention toward the positive, without which the other two cannot represent a true, balanced spirituality, raised. Following are two Bible verses highlighting this aspect. Romans chapter 6 verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. After the rejection of and dying to self, saying no to self rule and the self as the center of the universe, there is to be a rising to a new life. In part two, we talked about how the transfiguration of Christ expresses this vividly. It was a prefiguration of Christ's resurrection, a time of glory. Luke writes in his Gospel, chapter 9, verse 29, As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. It's important to emphasize that these things happened in history. This is because many would want to push this into some non-historic realm, or perhaps simply label it as mythical, on the level with goings-on in Narnia, Middle-earth, or a galaxy far, far away. But Luke, who was a physician, by the way, doesn't write of this as anything other than an account of what actually transpired. He records that, and I quote, On the next day, when they had come down from the hill, many people met him, unquote. That's Luke chapter 9, verse 37. Christ and the disciples who were with him that day went up the mountain at a certain point in time and then came down at another point in time. They did not move into a non-spatial, philosophical, or religious dimension. They were still connected to space-time history, to sequence. So here on the Mount of Transfiguration, true history took place, rooted in normal space and normal time. The glorification of Jesus was not in some philosophical or religious realm, but in the hard realities of space and time here on this planet. And Jesus spoke of the hardest of these realities when he said, while coming down the hill, and I quote, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed. And on the third day, Be raised to life, unquote. That's Luke chapter 9, verse 22. And there it is, rejected, slain, raised in history. When we come to the actual resurrection of Jesus Christ after his crucifixion, we find the same emphasis. In one instance, he came alongside two of his followers walking from Jerusalem to a small town called Emmaus and began talking with them. Jesus somehow hid his identity from these two, who were grieving the loss of the one they truly thought would restore their nation's prominence. After asking them why they were so downcast and listening to their answer, he asked, Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? That's Luke chapter 24, verse 26. He then goes on to explain that this is precisely what the prophets had foretold regarding the Messiah and his mission. He did this with all of his post-resurrection appearances. He asked questions, showed them his hands, feet, and side, invited them to touch him, ate with them, continued teaching them. All events in space-time history and not in some other realm of consciousness or a different dimension. It was in this reality in our history. Yes. Christ's body was changed in a way that he could move in and out of locked rooms, but it is still the same body, yet in a glorified form. Here we have the body of Jesus Christ in an external, space-time world. The reality of the resurrection is not something to either allegorize, chalk up to a series of mass hallucinations, or push off into a strange realm. It is meaningful in our reality, our space-time dimension of sequence and happenings. In the other manuscript of the New Testament written by Luke, the Book of Acts, as in the Acts or Actions of the Apostles as the movement formed and gained traction, he writes, as recorded in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, After His suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. That's concrete, experiential, eyewitness-attested proof given over 40 days. And then there was the spectacular act of the ascension, which you rarely hear preached, taught, or even talked about. In Acts chapter 1, verse 9, we read, After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. The idea of an actual physical ascension is one of the things a modern skeptic refuses to accept. Remember that at this point we have a man in a resurrected body that for 40 days has been appearing and disappearing into and out of locked rooms, eating and being touched. Now he disappears into a cloud. This is presented to us as something very real. There is an emphasis on space-time history. It was at an hour of the day on a day of the calendar. Anyone who thinks that they can discount the physical ascension of Jesus and still maintain Christianity will have a difficult time being consistent in the rest of their position since the testimony is clear. However, the space timeness doesn't end at the ascension. Look at the Apostle Paul's conversion experience, which was also chronicled by Luke, this in Acts chapter 9 verses 3 through 9. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. This took place on a road and at an hour of the day. The space-time situation is fixed, isn't it? Not only that, but there is rational communication occurring. This rational communication comes not through some mystical experience of Paul, but in space-time with the glorified Christ speaking to him in terms of the Hebrew language. At noon, On the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared, the glorified Christ in history, speaking in normal language using normal words, normal syntax and grammar to a man named Saul who would later become Paul. We are in the realm of space, time, history, normal communication, and normal language. This happens to the Apostle John as well many years later on the island of Patmos, not the conversion aspect, but an encounter nonetheless. In Revelation, the last book in the Bible, John describes what he actually saw and heard in human speech. We don't know precisely what language, similar to Saul's experience on the Damascus road. And John's writings in Revelation speak of the future coming of Jesus to earth and describes this visible coming in terms that have to do with space and time and history. Yes, this space-time history is a recurring theme because it is critically important. The Bible says that the day will come when both saved and unsaved people will look upon the glorified Christ. They will see him. Every person will see him, not as a religious idea, but glorified in a real situation. And those same passages say that Jesus Christ is in that glorified state now and not pushed off only into a future moment. Just as the ascension was not a disappearance into a nothingness, into the world of religious ideas, so is he in a glorified state now and to appear as a glorified king to all people in real space-time at some point in the future. That is fundamental to Christian teaching as contained in the Bible. It's important to note that Jesus' encounters with Saul about six to eight years after the ascension of Jesus, which was on the road to Damascus in modern-day Syria, and with the apostle John on the island of Patmos, which is a small Greek island in the Aegean Sea, are clear references of an historic resurrection of Jesus Christ. This physical resurrection is the proof of Christ's finished work on the cross, proof that the work is complete, that nothing else needs to be added to his substitutionary work for our justification and salvation. And all of this applies to us in our lives right now. The Bible teaches that in Christ's resurrection, we see the promise of our own coming physical resurrection. The Apostle Paul insists that what we see him to be after his resurrection, we will be. When I consider the resurrection of Jesus, not merely in the world of religious ideas or ideals, but in the world of space and time and reality, I have the promise from the hand of God himself that I will be raised from the dead. My physical body is a part of my total self, the total personality, the whole person, and will not be left behind but renewed because of what Jesus did on the cross. His death on the cross redeems the whole person so that one day my body will be raised from death and renewed like Christ's risen and glorified body. A helpful point to add here is that it is a logically consistent position to believe that if the God of the Bible exists, then the reality he created and presides over includes his ability to reconstitute a person's body, regardless of its state of decomposition. Even cremation, vaporized in a volcanic eruption, or any other calamitous situation doesn't matter. The God who spoke the entire universe into existence from nothing can restore a body to whatever state he so desires and wills. Again, that is a logically consistent position to hold. But the resurrection of Christ means even more than this. The reality, the space-timeness of Jesus' physical resurrection means something in regard to how we are to live today in our present circumstances. Consider the following portion of Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 6, verses 1-12. through What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. A few points here. First, and we continue to stress this, Jesus Christ died in history. He died in space time in history. Second, Christ rose bodily in history and he was glorified in history. Third, we died with Christ when we accepted him as Savior. If I have accepted Christ as Savior, this is now a past event in history. My salvation is rooted in two space-time historic points. The first is the finished work of Jesus on the cross and the second is the moment in time when I, by the grace of God, accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. These are the two space-time points upon which my salvation rests. If I have accepted Jesus as my Savior in the past, then what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 applies to me. Therefore, since we have been justified in the past through faith, we have, in the present, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All of these great truths are to be brought right into the area of present Christian life and true spirituality. The Bible says that in the present life, we are in practice to live by faith as though we are dead now. Just as Jesus died in history and once for all was dead to sin, so now we are called in faith to count ourselves dead in practice at this present moment not in some far off world of religious ideas, but in reality at this moment on the clock. By faith, we are to live as though we have already died to sin, to the things that are off target in terms of what we were created to be and do. And we are to live by faith now in the day-to-day, moment-to-moment realities of our lives as though we have been raised already from death. That is the message of the Christian life. That is true spirituality. So what is the Christian calling on the basis of all this? It is a calling, moment by moment, to be dead to the mastery of self and things that we might be alive to God we must be clear that this is in no way a call to passivity in the sense of some form of non-biblical mysticism, such as the pagan concept of Stoicism advanced by Marcus Aurelius. That would be merely resignation. The Bible does not teach this. The scriptures teach that I am a human being made in the image of God who is, once again quoting from Romans chapter 6, to offer myself, quote, to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. Unquote. So instead of a state of passivity, we are to strive toward that which brings forth fruit. It is being a fruitful person, doing fruitful things that make life better for ourselves and everyone around us. We are creatures made for the purpose of doing things that lead to thriving for ourselves, others, and all of creation. This involves an active yielding to God, not passivity. That is what being an image-bearer calls for. It is being at war with the impulses that, due to the fall of humanity, pull us away from our intended creatureliness and instead give ourselves over to live in accordance with God's plan rejected, slain, raised, and now ready to get after it and experience what it is to be used by God to do wonderful, life-giving things. On the basis of my trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross, I am forgiven and justified, made right with God once and for all time. At one moment, my guilt is declared gone forever, but there is also the call to live in a moment by moment, dying to self and things and being alive to God. It is dying to self and stepping back by faith into the present world as though we had been raised from the dead. Here is the real positive after the proper negative. This is true spirituality.